0: Good morning church. Great to see you. Hope you're having a good day. It's beautiful outside and I'm glad you're here. I want to try to inspire you and encourage you today to consider this fact that God has made you, made you, made you for ministry. He has a special design for your life so that you can customize an application in the lives of others in meaningful service And I want to encourage you to think about that today. I want to look at our text this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. If not, we'll project these words on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read for us verses 7 through 11. Our custom here is to stand to hear God's word. So if you're able, please stand to hear this important truth. This is from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians verse 7. Now to each one, everyone say each one. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everyone say common good. good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues or languages. And to still another, the interpretation of those languages. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Now may God inspire us today through this important truth. You may be seated. Thanks so much. I grew up in a small town, and right next door were my paternal grandparents. I grew up right next door, right across the yard, right next door to my grandparents' grandma and grandpa Paris grandma was a great cook she's always in her kitchen cooking something up Uh, grandpa was always out in the garage working with his tools and carrying on that way and so as a little guy I spent as much time at grandma's house as I did at my own house and grandpa would always coach me up when he was around the tools and imagine me now maybe five or six years old and I'm over there one day trying to drive a nail through a board I'm just you know uh, whacking away (laughs) with a hammer and he. He stopped me and he said, Greg, uh, do you know what is the best way to drive a nail? I thought for a minute, I said, well, I'm not sure. And he said, hit it, hit it on the head. That's the best way. (laughs) You might want to write that down. That's actually really good advice. Another time, he showed me his saws and his saw blades. He said, you want to always keep your saw blades sharp. And he got his file out and showed me how to sharpen a saw blade. And he said, if you keep your saw blade sharp, it's all the difference in the world. He said, so when you're cutting something, you let the saw do the work. That's a whole preaching series right there. I mean, there's something there. One day, he handed me a carpenter's pencil. You know, it's kind of heavy duty and flat. And I had that in my hand like that. And he said, do you know why carpenter's pencils or roofing pencils are flat like that? And I had it in my hand. I said, because it, it's easy to get a grip on, get a good handle on it. And he said, well, it maybe does help you hold on to it. But he said, the reason it's flat is so it won't roll off the roof. <laughs> and the light bulb came on. I thought, now watch this. I thought that, I can remember where I was, where I was standing relative to the driveway and the opening of the garage door, the, the sunlight. I can remember that moment and the light bulb came on. I thought that was the greatest revelation that I had ever received in my life. I mean, think about that. Somebody had to think that through. Somebody with, with uh, intelligence and, and some kind of forethought and some kind of design actually created a pencil that if you're using it on the roof, won't roll off. I just think that's phenomenal. Isn't that just great? I mean, think about that. Who designed that thing? They're smart. Now, let me make the application. We are just like that. Follow me. We're just like that. God has designed us with intentionality. He's designed us with forethought. He's designed us with purpose. Every last single one of us have been designed with purpose in mind. You have a unique personality. You have natural abilities and gifts. Intellectual abilities, physical abilities, you you have been designed uniquely and purposefully on God. You have spiritual abilities, gifts. We've just read in our text today from 1 Corinthians that God has gifted each one, the manifestation to each one of us for the common good. So God has supernaturally empowered you to serve you also have experiences in your life, good and bad experiences, which are now applicable in the lives of people around you. You can identify with numbers of people because of the experiences that you've had. You have passions in your life. Your heart goes out to certain people for certain reasons. You know, there are just folks around you that you go, I feel empathy toward that person. I, I have compassion toward them. You feel for them. All, in all of these ways, God uniquely qualifies you and designs you and assembles you into the kind of person uniquely qualified to care for others listen to what galatians 1 15 says it says god in his grace chose me even before i was born chose me even before i was born and called me to serve him now let me just uh, get to the first point on the outline you already know what it is Why why am i here why am i here why am i here I'm here to serve, at least in part. One of the reasons I'm here is to serve others. So important, because God has designed us with foresight and insight and purpose, shaped us and assembled us uniquely so that we might be useful in His hands. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are the ones chosen by God, God's instruments to do His work and to speak out for Him. Now you know why you're here. One of the reasons why you're here is to serve. Now, let's go on to the second point on your outline. You'll see it there, and it's this next question. What gets in the way? If we know that serving others is part of God's best plan for our lives, what is it that keeps us from doing that? Well, let me just uh, suggest a few things that come up from time to time. One is that I'm too busy. Maybe you've heard yourself say that or heard others say that. I'm too busy. My life is just too fast-paced. I've got too much in my schedule. I, don't, I can't fit another thing into this, this uh horrible schedule that I have and we seem to be going faster and faster and faster don't we have you ever stopped just long enough to ask yourself why am I going so fast why the hurry a few years ago a company produced a shampoo hair shampoo called PERT plus PERT plus maybe they still make that I'm not sure but PERT plus within weeks went to the top of the sales charts it it immediately became the best seller in America you want to know why It became number one because for the first time in history, you could get shampoo and conditioner at the same time. People thinking, look, I can save 30 seconds in the shower. That'll really pay off at the end of the day. And so folks began to buy it up because we're in a hurry. Domino's Pizza, you all know this, their motto. It's been this way for a number of years now. If you do not get it in 30 minutes or less, it's free. The CEO of Domino's Pizza actually came out years ago when they started this motto and said, we do not sell pizza, we sell delivery. And if you've ever had a Domino's pizza, right. back, in the, back in the 70s, back in the 70s we coined a new phrase in this, in this culture and it's not cheap food and it's not, it's not a, a good food, it was fast food. Some of you are not old enough to remember when this happened, you just were born and it was already there. But fast food didn't happen until the 1970s in this country where you could actually drive through a restaurant in your minivan and eat your your meal in a minivan like God intended. (laughs) And some of you now take for granted that you're driving your kids to soccer practice and one of them says, I'm hungry. You can just say, hey, look, just reach under your seat. There's french fries there from last week. Help yourself. (laughs) That's how you clean up your clean up your car. Just tell your kids where the food is. (laughs) Beth and I and our two boys and their wives, all six of us, were going to a family wedding a few years ago in Minnesota. And when we went through Chicago, we had to go all through those toll booths on the toll road. And it kind of irritated all of us because we're all kind of ambitious people. We want to keep it moving. And we didn't like how it slowed us down. So on the way back, Aaron, our oldest son, who has a computer, a little laptop, with him. He was doing some business, and he has connectivity to the satellite. So he got online as we're traveling south in this v- rented van back home, and he uh, he purchases online while traveling one of these uh, passes, electronic passes through the toll booths. You just set it in your dashboard and drive through the fast, the, you know, the, the fast lane at the toll booth, and you go right through. And so he got online, purchased the thing online, and then found out the nearest convenience store where they are sold, and we pulled the van off of that, of that, of that exit, picked, picked the thing up, set it in our dash, and went right through Chicago. It was just great, it just went like that. We don't know why we were in such a hurry, but it was important for us <laughs> to go as fast as we could. That's kind of the way we are, isn't it? I was in a bookstore a few years ago, and I saw a book, and it was it was entitled "If It Ain't Broke." No, that's what I thought. I had to reread the title, and it said "If It Ain't Broke, Break It." That got my. I said I got to read this book. So I, I I bought the book and I read it, and it, it was an amazing thing. I quickly discovered that the book was written for people like me. That's why the that's why the title caught me. It was for people who you know are a bit ambitious and and uh, type a and performance based and you know just on a mission all the time and and i read one excerpt from the book and it goes like this you're working harder but you're wondering if you're accomplishing that much more you're always feeling behind running a little bit late you're more irritable critical or short-tempered with those around you you see less of your friends and family you get more headaches back aches and stomach aches you have a tough time relaxing, you feel guilty if you're not working, you're married to your job, you tire easily, you feel fatigued, you need to continually be busy, you sometimes feel depressed or sad without any apparent cause, please don't raise your hand. And I realized, you know, this is happening. And then the book reminded us that the faster pace you go, the more stress builds up in your life and you become inflexible and impatient and irritable and anxious. And now there's more and more science indicating that the more anxious and stress-filled you are, the shorter your lifespan, so that the speed of your life is actually killing you. Speed kills, as it turns out. And why is this happening to us? And we wonder, maybe we're just too busy, that's our problem, but I don't think that's our problem, I think that's a symptom of our problem. I think the root of our problem isn't busyness and the, and, the, and the pace. I think our real problem is that our values are out of whack. I think our priorities are disheveled. I think we've got first things in the wrong place and last things in the, in the, right, in the wrong place. We, this, there's a guy named Jesus who came along in history. Remember him? Jesus Christ comes onto the earth, and this is one of the things he said. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things that you chase after and run after and race after, all these things will be added to you. The things that seem to be so important and so valuable and so essential aren't really essential at all. And if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and and His righteousness, His ways, then all these things that you're so desperate to, to achieve and acquire, those will be added to you anyway. Now, Jesus gave us some perspective there. I want to just pause and ask you this question. Do you have your priorities straight? Are your values in place? Let me tell you what I've just been doing recently in my own life. I've actually been reflecting on this because left to my own device, left to my own tendency, left to my own instinct, I will tend to go too fast. And I will tend to get my values out of place. And so two things that I'm trying to do right now. One is, and I just use this phrase, I want to go low. And by that I mean to myself, this is my internal speak, go low. And by that I mean I want to humble myself. I want to have humility in my life. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Are you following that? In the kingdom of God, here's the way it works. The first one down wins. And if you'll get low and, and become servant-minded around the people that you care about the most, and you get down underneath them, then from underneath them you can push them up. And that's called servant leadership. Jesus modeled it best. And so in my, my internal speak and in my prayer right now is, Lord, help me to go low. God, God, I want to be a person with genuine humility so that I can serve the people around me well and honor you best. And so go low, and my, the other phrase I'm using is go slow. Go low, go slow. Go low, go slow. Because my tendency is to go fast. You know, you just, you get out of the box, and you get out of the chute, and you just take off. And you just want to go. Because you feel like if you're moving fast, you're accomplishing more, but it's not true. And so I want to go low, and I want to go slow. Go low, go slow. Go low, go slow. Everyone say that out loud Go low, go slow. Some of you figured this out. I mean, you do it well. I mean, you model this well, beautifully. Others of us, we need, we need to check ourselves. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. So if one of your excuses is, I'm too busy, maybe it's because you're just not seeking God first. And that's the antidote to being too busy. And I'll put that on the screen for you. Seek God's agenda first. And that'll help you. That'll help you with that. Now, here's another thing. We ask the question, what gets in the way? Uh, the second thing is people say I'm not qualified. In fact, all of, all of my choices in the past, my lifestyle in the past, my failures of the past, they disqualify me from meaningful ministry and service in the common good of the church. And that, but that's not true. That's not right. That's not true. That's not, that's not true. In fact, just the opposite is true. The experiences that you've had that have perhaps been of a negative type that have been consequential in your life, you know, bad choices and bad decisions, and you come to a place where, boy, that cost me. There were consequences to that. And I was wounded through that, or I was damaged by that. And you say, well, that disqualifies me. No, no, it doesn't disqualify you. What it does is it uniquely qualifies you for people who have been through some of the same pain that you've been through. So God will actually use you in in the... Issues in your life that were meant to hurt you to actually bring good in the life of others, if you'll present yourself for that. I'm not qualified. I uh, was pastoring this church when I was 27 years old, Union Chapel Church. It was out in a cornfield, and we had about 100 people out there, and I was the senior pastor and the associate pastor and the children's pastor and the youth pastor and the, and the uh, custodian and the secretary. That was my job description. <laughs> and And underpaid... <laughs> at the same time and so that that was my that was my job back in the day and we bought our first church bus first church bus and gosh I was so excited about that we got it all painted up and it was a six-speed manual you know transmission and had air brakes in it where you had to pump the brakes and make it stop you know and it would you know make that sound it was just it was cool driving it around and we had gotten all painted up and I thought we ought to use the bus right away so I scheduled a youth canoe trip we went on this retreat with the youth we had about 20-25 kids that went on this youth retreat we were going to be gone for about three days and they had delivered the bus to the church and the night before the trip was to embark I had driven the bus one mile from the church to the parsonage where we lived that was the extent of my experience driving a bus in my life now back in the day you didn't have to have a special license for driving a bus if you had a Valid driver's license, you could drive a bus, a passenger vehicle, no problem. So I was qualified, I had a driver's license. And so the next morning, all the kids were assembling, the parents were dropping them off. And one of the fathers walked up to me, because, you know, kids throw in their sleeping bags and stuff in a bus. And a parent, a father, walked up and said, you do have experience driving a school bus, don't you? I said, oh yeah. I said, I drove it the drove mile from the church down to the Parsonings last night, we're ready to go. <laughs> now that may sound irresponsible, because it uh, really is... We don't do that anymore. I mean, we're very careful about who drives our buses and all that. I mean, you gotta, you got to be qualified to drive a bus. But I didn't let not being qualified stop me from volunteering to drive the bus, and we had a great time, and we were gone for three days. One of the things that happened to us the first night after we'd been in the canoes all day, and guys were tired, and so the boys were sleeping in the basement of a home uh, where we were staying, and the girls were up on the main floor, you know, on their sleeping bag- bags, And it was dark, and it was night, and we were all asleep. And suddenly, a 15-year-old boy woke up, and he was screaming—blood-curdling screaming. It was horrible, and we, you know, just shocked us. And we all woke up and turned the lights on. Even the girls heard us, you know, from the basement. And what is happening down there? And this this kid was like half asleep and half awake, and he was clawing at his face, and then and screaming and you know he, he wasn't talking English and we couldn't know, understand what he was happening to him and he'd calm down for a few moments then all of a sudden oh, he'd start screaming again and clawing at his face we didn't know whether to slap him or take him to the hospital or cast the devil out of him we didn't know what was wrong <laughs> this all comes under I'm not qualified <laughs> and so there we were with this with this kid and we didn't know what to do and finally one of the other and we had a flashlight looking in his eyes and looking in his ear, trying to see, couldn't see anything, anywhere. He was, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't bleeding, <laughs> but he was screaming. Somebody said, well, you know, there's something in, in his ear. Maybe if we pour some rubbing alcohol in his ear, that will help. And that's what we did, because this comes under the heading that we don't know what we're doing. And so <laughs> we, got, we got some rubbing alcohol, and we poured it in his ear. Now, if, hang on now. Brace yourself, here it comes. And out of his ear canal came backing out of his ear a big cockroach. <laughs> now you know why he was screaming. Because every time we went tweaking around his ear, the cockroach tried to... And he would scream. <laughs> so he got better really quick at that point. Now what do you do? Well, we're not sure what to do. We're not qualified for this. Uh, but we asked the owner of the house if they had any cotton balls, and they did. Thank God. So we got a big bag of cotton balls, and we, and we got all those teenage boys to stuff their ears with cotton balls. Because <laughs> how else are we going to get them to sleep? And that was just a great idea. You should write that down in case you're ever in that situation. You'll know what to do. And, and so we st- everybody stuffed their ears with cotton balls. And, and got everybody calm, got the lights off, and you know, f- a few minutes passed, and everybody's okay, just about back to sleep. You know, it's two o'clock in the morning, and everybody's just about asleep, except one guy was laying next to his cousin, and this guy had a little string that he had been holding on to, and as soon as he thought his cousin was asleep, or nearly asleep, and everybody else was asleep, he reached over with that string and just raked it across his cousin's ear. <laughs> Party was back on! <laughs> You can imagine the explosion after that. So it took another half an hour to get people calmed down. This is all under the heading of "You don't know what you're doing. You're not qualified." But that, don't let that stop you. You can have a great time, build build some great memories when you don't know what you're doing. I've seen it happen. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. So the answer to not being qualified is to rely on God's power, trust in God's power, rely on Him. That's how you deal with it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My power is strongest when you are weak. Do you hear that? So I will brag even more about my weaknesses in order that Christ's power will live in me. So I'll I'll, I'll boast in my weakness because then the manifestation of God's power can be realized. That's, That's the way it works. Hebrews 13 says, And now may the God of peace equip you for all you need for doing His will. May He produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ that which is pleasing to Him. Isn't that great? Well, here's a third thing that people say that get in the way of service to, to others, and that is people say, I'm afraid. I'm too busy. I'm not qualified. I'm afraid. Have you ever said that to yourself? A little intimidated by an opportunity? Just go, look, I... I don't think so. I don't think I could, I think I could do that. I don't think I could, could go there. Sometimes people get afraid of failing. Maybe you've had a failure or two in your life and you go, well, I, I just can't, I can't stand to fail again in that category. You know, I tried that once. Boy, that didn't work out so well. I want to tell you a story about my life and just give you some insight into my life, if that's okay. When I take these personality profiles, these these inventories that help you understand your personality type and whether you're a thinker or a feeler or an extrovert or an introvert, you know, that sort of thing. I always score on the far end of the introvert scale. Introvert. And, and you might not know that about me. Um, if all you see me is in my public persona, you, you would never guess I'm an introvert. But I am way profoundly introvert. I'm very quiet. In fact, when I was a boy, my mother nicknamed me with my first name being John. She called me Silent John. And she reports to me that I wouldn't talk to anybody under any circumstances in a social setting. I was behind her all the time. I was the the little boy hiding behind his mother's skirt. Literally. And so I have always been shy and socially awkward and introvert. That's my, now I've developed some skills in this area and I'd be glad to talk to you and, and I'll be fine. My wife, on the other hand, is, is on the far end of the scale extrovert and she's happy to talk to you. In fact, she's happy to party with you and she's she charges her batteries by going to the mall and talking to strangers. You know, where you been just talking to people? Wow, who does that? Well, she does it. I have to get alone and get quiet to charge my batteries. I'm introvert. Well, I became a Christian person when I was 16 years old. That's when I had a breakthrough experience with Jesus and, and was converted. And when I was 18, now fast forward a couple of years, and I, and I want you to know in those two years, I had become a God seeker. I mean, I was, I was, I was hot after God. I was serious about my faith. I wanted to know much, as, as much about God as I could, and I wanted to seek God and chase God and understand the ways of God. And I was trying to learn God's voice and trying to learn what He might be asking me to do in my life. And I was in a senior in high school speech class at 18 years old. And I'm talking to you now about overcoming your fears. And one of the assignments in that speech class was to give a five-minute speech. And all the students in the class had to give a five-minute speech. And the teacher there he was a very outgoing gregarious kind of person and he was constantly talking had an opinion about everything and so he was constantly stirring up the whole idea of communication through speech but that was not easy for me and you can understand we were to give a five minute speech and I had wrestled with uh, what I would use as my subject and and people were coming up with corny ideas and so forth and I just thought, I just don't know what I'm going to talk about so I just I said okay this is what I'll do I'll talk about how to make curly hair straight said, why was that of interest to me? Because in the day, you have to trust me on this one, I had a lot of curly hair. In fact, in college, I wore an afro. When I was married, our marriage pictures, I should have brought one so you could see it because I know you don't believe me. I I had an afro when I was married. When I played college basketball, I had an afro. Man, I was styling. I couldn't jump like guys with afros, but I had one even though I couldn't. I learned in high school that if I wet my hair at night, and combed it down, and then put a sock cap on it, and slept in a sock cap, I could wake up in the morning, and my hair would be straight, and so then I could comb it, comb it, and it'd be straight, and it'd hang in there for the day, and that's what I did, and so I was going to give a little five-minute speech on how to straighten curly hair, and it's interesting, isn't it, that people with curly hair want to have straight hair, and people with straight hair want to have curly hair, and people are all the time complaining about your hair. If you're one of those people who complain about your hair, shut up. Seriously. Bunch of babies. But a couple of days before I was to give my speech, I thought I sensed God speaking to me about maybe changing the theme. The thought came into my head, hey, rather than talking about hair, why don't you, why don't you tell your classmates how I've become real in your life? Just tell your story. Share your testimony. And I went, no. No. No, no, and big no. There's no way. There's no way I'm going to stand up in front. It's hard enough just to stand up and talk in front of people. I have to overcome my fear, but now you want me to tell my spiritual testimony in front of my high school classmates? No. Not doing it. No. Got the wrong guy. No. No. The next day unfolded, and I could not shake that impulse to do that. The morning of my speech, I woke up, and I was, I was not feeling well. It had affected me, just the thought of doing it. And yet, at the same time, I couldn't deny that God was asking me to do it. But I knew I would have to overcome my fears and overcome all those barriers, social barriers, relational barriers, personal barriers, maybe even spiritual barriers, to get to a moment like that? Could I encourage you? Could I put courage into you right now? If you're a person who's afraid to serve? Here's what I did that day. I took my notes on how to straighten your hair with me, and I had them there just in case God changes his mind, because I'm good with that. And the teacher called my name, and I can remember, I can see that moment. You know, my endorphins were firing I can see the notes and I stood up from my desk in that senior, high school senior speech class and I can see myself walking away from those notes. And I walked to the front of that room and I said, I I need to change my subject today. And And then I just launched into my testimony. I told my classmates what my life was like before I met Jesus, how I met Jesus and what my life had been like since I met Jesus. And God is my witness. Now listen to me. This, this may not happen to you if you do it. it. Something greater than that, this may happen to you if you, if you overcome your fears. I don't, I don't know. This is just my story. And God knows that I'm telling you the truth. God listens to everything I say publicly, and I'll be accountable one day for every word I've said. But God is my witness. I got up and in just a simple way began to tell my story, share my witness for Christ. And the Spirit of God fell in that room. some of the girls in the room, they began to weep, literally, began to cry. My teacher, who was always watching the clock, always had something to say, wasn't going to let anybody get outside of the boundaries, five minutes went, six minutes, seven minutes, ten minutes, eleven minutes, twelve minutes, he didn't make a peep until I finished my story. I remember what I said at the end. I, you know, I'm just making it up as I, as I went along. And trust me, friend, there was nothing profound about it. It was an 18-year-old kid just telling his story. And it's not a big deal. You know, I was almost dead and God raised me. None of that. And I said, so that's what Jesus means in my life. And, and you can have the same relationship with Jesus too. And that's how I ended it. And I went and sat down, the teacher got up, he was very somber, he said, well, Greg's given us a lot to think about today, let's just dismiss the class. He dismissed the class, went out in the hallway, classmates were coming up to me saying, thank you for sharing that, that was very meaningful, thank you, that meant a lot to me, thank you. Probably eight or nine of them. Beth and I try to go to our high school reunions when they come up every five or ten years. At our 30th high school reunion, 30 years out, we were there at the reunion with our classmates and a woman walked up to me. I couldn't tell you one person that was in that class that day. I hadn't even thought about it for 30 years. And she walked up to me at the 30th high school reunion. She walked up to me and she said, Greg, I still remember that day you shared about your faith in speech class. She said, that meant a lot to me. You have no idea what meaningful influence might Come through your life if you will lay aside the excuses, lay aside all the weights, all of the ob- obstacles, overcome your fears, all overcome your arguments, and just do something careful for someone else's life. You just never know. Here's the answer to I'm afraid the answer is you've got to trust God. You've got to trust God's plan for your life, you have to trust Him. Everything, everything in your system may be saying, don't do that, don't say that, not to that person, not in front of that group, this is not the right time for that, this is, this is inappropriate, That's, people are going to think you're crazy, don't do that, don't do that now, don't do it that way. And you have to overcome that stuff by trusting in God's plan for your life, trusting that God has a way in mind, and then if you'll overcome your fears, God will use you. That's awful. That's awful. Good. Now here's number three. Fourth time I'm finally getting it right. <laughs> See, they're the lucky ones. I finally got it right. All the other people are listening to something else. Number three. On your outline is when am I rewarded? Galatians six nine says, don't get tired of doing what's good. Don't get discouraged and give up. We reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. And this is what I encourage you with: God will bless you. He'll bless you with significance. You'll feel better about yourself than you feel otherwise. Let me just, I just, I want to go faster here. Let me just summarize this. The happiest people in the world are people who give their lives away to benefit others. The saddest, most depressed, most discouraged, the least self-aware people in the world are people who become selfish, self-absorbed, and and Self-centered. The more, to the degree that you focus on your own stuff, your own life, your own pain, your own issues, your own life, your own, your own happiness, your, all that, the, the, to the degree that you focus on yourself is the degree to which you won't understand yourself, you won't understand God's best plan for your life, and, and you'll be an unhappy person. To the degree that you give your life away in selfless service to others, with an open heart and an open hand and an open mind to people, loving, lovingly accepting, forgiving, and, and, and caring for people around you, is the degree to which you will understand who you are, understand how God has made you who you are, and the joy that will fill your life. To the degree. Happiest people on the earth are the people who serve others. The saddest people, most depressed people in the world are people who only care about themselves. It's just the truth. So is there a reward? There's a great reward. You, you'll get to sense significance, that your life matters, that it has meaning. You'll have fellowship with other people who are on your team that you serve beside. And this is enriching and, and just great and life transforming. You'll find affirmation for your life. People will say to you, you know, you did a good job. You know, that helped me. Thank you for giving your life in such a way. You know, maybe you, maybe you don't notice, but maybe you do that, that, the, that the set here behind in our worship center here, it changes from season to season in the life of our church. Maybe you notice it's different today than it was last week. Listen, the Keebler elves didn't come in here at night and do that. There are people who have done that, who've thought about it, designed it, and then put their hands on it and created it. And they did a nice job too, don't they? It's great. And I've already said to the people who've done it, thank you. Well done. That's, see, that's affirmation because people volunteered to do it. It's great. There's a lot, there's a lot of reward. Now, last point just very quickly how do I get started how do I get started here's the first thing you need to do give your life to Christ (laughs) if you don't know Jesus the first step in serving Jesus is to get to know him now listen you can serve God without knowing God I've seen that happen you can serve the cause of Christ in the world without knowing Christ but it's much better if you know Jesus (laughs) it's just better in every way if you know Jesus and so if you don't know Christ today as your personal Savior, you can know Him by inviting Him into your life to forgive your sins, your wrongs, your mistakes, and to ask Him to take priority in your life. And He will hear that prayer every time. So give your life to Christ. Then the other things I would just say is if you feel too busy or too afraid or unqualified, you need to give in to God's agenda. Then give up some, maybe things you shouldn't be doing anyway and then give out in ministry to others. Give in, give up, give out. Let me uh, close with this uh, story. I read about this from a school corporation in another state who has a program where if one of their students is hospitalized, a teacher is designated out of the staff each week to go to the hospital and help that student keep up with their studies. And... In this case, there was a grade school boy who had been hospitalized. And the teacher on hospital call that week went to his classroom teacher and asked for the lesson plans so they they could keep him up. And the classroom teacher said, well, we've been studying nouns and adverbs. And so here's the lesson plan on our nouns and adverbs. You can take it to him and help him learn, understand his nouns and adverbs. So the teacher went to the hospital, but no one had told her how severe this little boy was. This little guy, the grade school boy, had been burned, severely burned, and he was in great pain and in critical condition when she got there. And it kind of took her aback because she wasn't expecting him to be so ill. And so she goes into the room and gets this little guy's attention, and, you know, she feels a little awkward about it, but she says, you know, the, the lessons for your class this week have been nouns and adverbs, and so she coaches him up on his nouns and adverbs. And she cuts it a little short because he's in pain and she doesn't want to wear him out and so she leaves and the next day she goes back because she's on call for that week and the nurse catches her before she goes in the little guy's room and she says to her what did you say to him yesterday and the teacher goes you know I, I didn't realize how bad he was she started apologizing for what she had done and the nurse said no 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 need to apologize after you left yesterday his whole demeanor changed his attitudes changed it's like he had given up and he didn't have the will to live anymore. But all day today, he's had a great attitude and he's fighting back. We think he's going to live. Now, two weeks later, this little guy got out of critical condition and he was able to talk about his experience. And they went back and they asked him, what was the, what, what was the turning point for you? Because, you know, you, it seemed like you had given up. We thought you were going to die, but you're going to live. What changed, what changed your mind? And he said, oh, well, I can tell you exactly what happened. It was the day the teacher came to talk to me. He said, I thought to myself, why would the school send a teacher to catch me up on nouns and adverbs? If they thought I was going to die. <laughs> if they thought I was dying, they wouldn't have come, come here with nouns and adverbs. <laughs> and you do understand the point, don't you? That we have no idea What meaningful influence you can have in someone's life with the most simple acts of kindness and service. You just have no idea. You have no idea the influence you have when you simply devote yourself to God's plan for your life and realize you were made for ministry. You're made for it. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit may be saying to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for your word, for the reminder to us that you've created each of us with unique gifts and talents and abilities, and I pray that your prompting over our lives would come, that you would help us evaluate our lives, and that you would begin to tug on our hearts and remind us that maybe it's time to be even more mobilized for ministry, Maybe it's time to jump in the game, make a difference. So, God, I pray that each of us would pursue a better understanding of how you've designed us, our shape, the way you've assembled us, so that we can effectively, strategically apply our lives in the care and service of others. We'll do it for Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.